0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Friends, our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and his children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we listen to the words of this passage, words that are stark and arresting in how um, striking they are, words of torture and indentured slavery and unforgiveness, it grabs our attention, it shakes us, it disturbs us. We come to this passage, some of us, with a sense that we need to be forgiven or a sense that we need to forgive others. Some of us come to this passage now with a grudge or a, a resentment or an anger. We have been wronged. Many of us feel we have been unjustly wronged. And it, is, it seems impossible to forgive. And it is burning a hole in our own hearts. It is eroding our souls from within. Some of us come to this very moment feeling a sense of peace and ease and calm in our relationships with others. And we wonder how this might apply to us today. But however we find ourselves, help us to see that we have far more in common than we realize. Each of us, on one hand, is a beautiful mess. Created in your image and likeness and yet broken. We don't function as we were created to function. There are ways that we get it and ways we don't get it. Ways that we succeed and ways that we fail. Ways that we feel like we're put together and ways we are coming undone. But however we see ourselves right now, help us to see that you see us and know us in all our complexity and contradiction, and your response is to give yourself to us in sacrificial self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. So as we open these scriptures now, help us to come closer to you and to each other and to our truest selves. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed and this world would be renewed. We pray all these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, this week, Florence and I were driving in our 2008 Toyota minivan. And as we made this swooping turn on Highway 5, the indicator light kept beeping and flashing and, and it really seemed like the, the world was going to end in this little minivan of ours. And it turned out that it was a sensor that possibly could be uh, could be a faulty sensor. But we only found that out when we went to the Toyota dealership and we checked it in and said, would you please you know, check the codes on this, the diagnostic codes? And he said, okay, well, is there anything else you want us to take a look at? I said, well, while you're taking a look at the car, also, I think this is wrong with the cooling system. The, the AC doesn't seem to work just right and if you got any extra time you know here's the uh, the remote control that's supposed to open the door locks it doesn't seem to be working right and he said okay well if we only have a certain amount of time what should i do and i said well obviously you take care of the one that seems to be life and death the one that you know as we're turning at 70 miles per hour on the freeway uh, threatens to throw us over the side because these sensors are malfunctioning see we had these different diagnostics on the car and different flashing lights and different codes But not all of them were equally important, right? The the most important one was the life and death one. And the other stuff, if you can get to it later, it would be nice, but it's not critical. Throughout Scripture, we get all of these different diagnostics, different ways of kind of checking in with our heart and our soul and our life. And today we find one where Jesus says, this one is actually life and death. This one is actually the check engine light where it could seize up the entire car and throw you off the cliff if you miss this diagnostic. And what is that diagnostic? How are you doing with forgiveness? Right? We're going to get into this parable that he gives. And Jesus, as the brilliant teacher, gives these great contrasts of the story, which kind of makes it hilarious and it lightens the mood a little bit. We'll get into that. But also, as a great rabbi, he includes these horrifying details of debt slavery and torture to bring home the point very forcefully that these are heavy things we're talking about. And he gives this great diagnostic in verse 35, the punchline, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. N.T. Wright, great um, theologian, one of the world's renowned New Testament scholars, talks about this passage in his book, um, Matthew for Everyone. And he says, is, it, is, is he saying that if you don't forgive others, Jesus won't forgive you and you will spend eternity uh, in hell? And he says, I'm not sure that he's saying that. Um, but he is saying that this is very critical and important. So there's, there are other places in Scripture where we get clues, where Jesus is saying, whatever you do to the least of these, you do for me. So if you give a thirsty person a sip of water, it's like you're doing it for me. If you give a hungry person a meal, it's as though you're doing it for me. If you visit someone in prison, it's as though you're visiting me. If you clothe someone who is naked, it's as though you're clothing me. And if you don't, I will say, get away from me, you evildoer and I will cast you out, right? Does this mean that if you give someone food and water and drink and clothes, you go to heaven, and if you don't, you go to hell? I don't think so, and here's why. Because if it meant that, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come in the first place. But he is giving a very important diagnostic to say, when you look at the way that you forgive other people, it is linked to the way in which you receive forgiveness from God, and it's a great indicator with how much you are actually living in the forgiveness that God gives you. See, N.T. Wright goes on to say, forgiveness is not like any other virtue or trait. It's not as though God, you know, God, God's forgiveness to you is not like a, a, a warm meal that still will be sitting on the dining room table, even if you refuse to give somebody a sandwich on the street when they're hungry. Um, there's something linked to the actual giving and receiving of forgiveness for you to enjoy it, to appreciate it, to live in it. He likens it to breathing. Inhaling and exhaling oxygen. And if you, have, if you do not exhale forgiveness, there's no room in your lungs to receive the next breath of God's forgiveness. Or if you use the metaphor of the heart, if your heart is closed to forgiving others, then your heart will also be closed to receiving forgiveness from God. I wonder if this is why earlier in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who show mercy, for you'll receive mercy. Because you will be exhaling and inhaling forgiveness, and you will be actually breathing your heart will be open not only to forgive others but to receive forgiveness from God, and you will be a person of more life and more vitality. But this is really hard work. This is not the default drive of the human heart. This is not the way societies or cities or governments or nations are run. We are, we, you know, nations by and large are run on the concept of mutually assured destruction. If another m- nuclear power launches anything at us, we need to have. 20 times, 2,000 times as much firepower to launch back. And we do that on the national scale. We do that on the global scale. We also do that on the personal scale. And Jesus comes to interrupt that cycle of violence with forgiveness. So let's take a look at forgiveness today and see the challenge of forgiveness, the process of forgiveness, and the promise of forgiveness. First, the challenge of forgiveness. Here's the challenge. Ready? Life together is so critical and so difficult life together being connected is so important that the worst punishment that they can give someone in prison is to remove them and put them in solitary confinement why because you and I were made for community we were made to be connected with each other scripture presents this picture where we each are formed in the image and likeness of God the Trinity the Father Son and Holy Spirit who have been united in community forever And we long for it, but relationships are messy. Communication's difficult. Community and love and belonging are like the echo of a song we were meant to dance to, but we've forgotten how to dance. And did you ever notice that the closer you are to someone, the harder it is to live in community with them? Did you notice the closer you are to someone in relationship, the more power they have both to heal you and to hurt you? right? If someone on the, on the, at the beach tells you you're a dummy, you just brush your shoulders off and continue on. If a friend says you're a dummy, it hurts even more. And if a parent says it to a child, they need therapy, right? Because the closer you are, the more power you have to heal and to hurt one another. Relationships are so hard. We desire and we crave connection, I remember asking my therapist friend, Jay Wilson, Jay, when you have a client sitting in front of you and you know nothing else about them, you haven't read the intake form yet, you've not had your first session, what do you assume about every human being that sits in front of you? He said, that's easy. Every human being wants to be known and to be loved. Right? Brene Brown, whose work has gone viral, her work on vulnerability in her books and her TED Talks, says every human being wants to be loved. and wants to to belong and yet we're terrified that if you truly knew who I am, you would laugh at best or you would run at worst. And so we cover up and we run and we hide and we strike out at one another. So why is it so difficult to live in community? Because you're in it, (laughs) because I'm in it, because we're in it and our own woundedness and our pain and the grooves in our hearts Our own brokenness rises up against each other's brokenness. As one friend taught me, hurt people tend to hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And we all have our own woundedness. Some of it is more visible. Some of it's better hidden. Some of it's more on the surface. Some some of it is more deep. And yet still, it always rubs up and breaks against one another. So life together is so hard, but it's so critical. And the way forward is forgiveness. I'd make the case, and I think Jesus is making the case starkly here with this parable, that it is far more important than you or I give it credit. See, the freedom of forgiveness is that it actually sets you free. I've said up here the last three weeks something along the lines of, if you ever want to be a slave to someone else, hold a grudge against them. Because they're not thinking about you, but they're living rent-free in your mind all the time. Now, here's another way of saying that. When you forgive someone, you think you're setting them free, but you're the one that's actually going free. I had a funny experience of this this week. It's funny in hindsight, it was not funny in the moment. Uh, I was driving our car to go and visit Florence for us to have a date together on Thursday. and we're go- I'm heading toward this date with my wife. I'm so excited and I'm on the on-ramp right over here to get on the freeway. And this driver pulls up next to me. It's one of those on-ramps where two lanes become one. <clears throat> I've got this steady rate of speed. I mean, the punchline is, I was right, okay? I'm just going to give you that right now. I've got this steady rate of speed. I'm safely coming on. To the th- this person will not let me over, and they almost ran me off the on-ramp. And then as we get back onto the freeway, this person begins to show me how much they don't appreciate me with their hands, and then they start taking photos of my car and my license plate. I have no idea what's going on. Now, here's the thing. We end up going down the freeway. They take a different ramp. They're on a different freeway. I'm heading to a date with my wife. They're going somewhere else. We're moving away from each other at a very fast rate, and yet that person is still hitchhiking in my car and in my mind because I'm continuously replaying how right I was and how wrong they were and how dare them to take out their phone. And they continue to come into my moment. I read on uh, this piece, this little post on Instagram this week, I thought it was intriguing, says, if you had $86,400 and someone stole $10 from you, would you throw away the other $86,390? Of course not. Turns out there are 86,400 seconds in the day. If someone comes and makes you feel bad for 10 seconds, are you going to throw away the rest of the day just because of that moment? To which for many of us, the answer is yes. (laughs) But forgiveness is the way forward. Now, okay, that's the small stuff. That's the easy stuff. What about big wrongs? What about neon bright injustice that you can see from the space station? What about betrayal with a capital B? Forgiveness is weighty. It might take time. You may need to set some smart boundaries. It will take wisdom. But forgiveness is the way forward. See, in this passage, Jesus tells this parable about this one. He says this one slave who owes the king. 10,000 talents. Now, this I just have to say, this isn't slavery like you or I know it, where people were forced from their country into another country and forced to live. This is often in this system would have been a slavery system where if someone owed a sum of money, couldn't pay it, they would work for a certain amount of time. In fact, in Jewish culture, by the law, you could not be an indentured servant for more than seven years before you are set free. So just want to give a little bit of context there, but I don't even think that context matters so much because it's a parable. Jesus told these parables, these stories, not to be looked at literally, but to get the bigger picture. So let's look at the picture. This one slave owes the king 10,000 talents. Okay, 10,000 talents is an absurd number. Jesus is being hilarious here. He has taken the largest numeral in Greek and put it with the largest amount of currency. The actual amount of money of 10,000 talents would be something like 60 to 100 million days wages. So it would be impossible for this slave to even take that much money. This would be the amount of treasury that the entire kingdom has. But It's like saying he owes the king zillions of dollars. But it's going to affect the king. It's going to affect the kingdom. It's going to affect everybody. This slave has taken on a debt that they cannot repay, which is why it's so funny when they say, Have patience with me and I will repay everything. That would be like one of, you know, a child in your family, you know, wrecking the family car at six years old and saying, I'm going to pay the whole thing back this year. It's just not going to happen. And the king forgives him. And then the man goes out and another slave owes him 100 denarii, which would be 100 days' wages. Not insignificant, but nowhere near what was originally owed and he had no mercy, right? Let's look at the process of forgiveness and the way that the king forgave that first slave. And it's really a three-step process. The king identified with him. He, He took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The king took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Let's break that down. What does forgiveness look like in this parable? To take pity on him is not merely the word to feel sorry for him uh, or to have compassion upon him. It literally is the word that means to have your heart go out to somebody. To take your heart and to put it inside their own body and inside their own life. It goes, it's, it's along the lines of walk a mile in their shoes. Understand where they're coming from. See what it must be like to live their life. His heart goes out to him. In other words, he identifies with them. The first step of forgiveness is you refuse to caricature the other person you know what a caricature looks like, right? If you go to the San Diego Zoo, right there by the exit, there's the stall where they'll draw a caricature of you and your friends if you like. And the caricature artist, their job is to capture a bit of who you are. You should be able to pick yours out or else they're not a very good caricature artist. But their job is also to accentuate and expand different features. So if you have a big nose, they're gonna make it really big. If you have big ears, they'll make it really big. If you have circles around your eyes, they'll make them deeper and darker than they actually are. And often we caricaturize one another. When someone wrongs you, it is tempting to look at them in a one-dimensional way. So they didn't just lie to you. They are a liar. Now, someone comes to you and you see yourself three-dimensionally. They say, did you lie about that thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, why did you do that? Well, it's complex. There were reasons. I have all these, you know, there's extenuating circumstances. I mean, yes, it was wrong to lie, but I have all these other reasons and I meant well while I did it. You see what happens there? We caricature them and make the fault their identity. But when we do it, we have good reasons to do it. We do this when we drive as well. Um, Psychologists talk about internal and external locus of control. Uh, So if someone else is texting while they're driving, We attribute it to their character. They're a bad person. They don't care about other people. They think they're more important than others. But when you answer a text while you're driving and you catch yourself, you go, well, that was really important. I couldn't miss that one, right? So the first step is to identify with the other person, to see that you have more in common with them than you realize, to see that they are a beautiful and broken human being just like you are. Miroslav Volf, the great theologian, scholar, and philosopher, wrote, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude them from the community of humans. They are less than human. They are their faults. They are their blemish. They are what they've done wrong to me. And I exclude myself from the community of sinners. I would never do anything like that. I'm better than them. Here's the truth. You might not do something exactly like that, but you're perfectly capable of doing something like that. So then we begin to identify and have compassion. You see them as three-dimensional instead of just one-dimensional. That's hard work, friends. That is the deeper way of going through life, to actually see the humanity of people who have wronged you. So you identify with him. Second, you cancel the debt. See, the first slave owed 10,000 talents. That's an absurd amount of money. And the king says, I forgive the debt. Now, here's the thing about that forgiveness. Forgiveness is paying the debt rather than making the perpetrator pay him or herself. Canceling the debt still means someone has to pay. And when you choose to forgive, you're saying, I will pay instead of making them pay. Right? If I lend you my car and you wrap it around a telephone pole here on 30th Street, and you come back to me and you say, man, I'm so sorry. I either can make you pay or I can say, you know what, forget about it. It's completely forgiven. But I still have to pay for the car. Either I pay to get it fixed or I pay by going without one car, whatever it might be. But then the debt becomes mine. See, but when a coworker slanders you, when someone pushes you down to pull themselves up, when other people talk bad about you, see, we want to say, I want to make them pay. I want to go equally talk bad about them. I want to do something as terrible to them as they have done to me or worse. Or even if you don't want to do anything actively toward them, you still sit on the sideline and you cheer for their demise. I hope they get what they deserve. To forgive is to say, not it's okay, Not it didn't matter, and not that you necessarily are going to trust that person again. Those are all aspects of wisdom. But to forgive is to say, I'm not going to make you pay. I'll actually take the debt on myself. And thirdly, you let them go. You know, so the caricature of that person on the freeway who had honked at me and all that, and they were still in the car and still in the mind, part of that is for me to say, God, I hope you give them as good of a day as I hope for myself. I hope you give them all the love, joy, peace, patience, and connection that I ask for for myself and for the people I love every day. And when that happens, that person gets out of the car. They get out of your mind. You're no longer carrying them around. You will the good of the wrongdoer. Uh, our friends in the 12-step programs teach us this is what it looks like to let go of a resentment okay resentments will eat you alive resentment the word comes from the combination of two words sentiment sentience uh sentiments a sentiment is a feeling and re to do again (laughs) to re-feel something a resentment takes you right back to the moment of wrong and you feel it and you live it and you experience the trauma again and again and again and the wound continues to fester See, I love that we have basketball back on TV. That makes me so happy. And the NBA actually has a resentment machine. It's called Instant Replay. I remember, I'm a huge Warriors fan, and I remember when Steph Curry had injured his knee in the middle of a game. And Steph's coming down the court, injures his knee. He is now off the court. He's in the training room. He's getting an MRI. He's getting treatment. He's getting ice. He's moved on with starting the healing process. But we're right back with the resentment machine, the instant replay, watching that injury from every single angle, cringing, can't can't watch, it just hurts again and again. So often when we are wronged, we fire up the resentment machine and we get out the instant replay machine and we wanna convict this person in front of a jury of our own imagination. Look how wrong they are, look how bad they are, look how foolish they are. And instead you choose to turn the resentment machine off and to let them go. Resentment will kill your soul. Here's what I've found. It's nearly impossible to pray for someone and to harbor a resentment against them for a long period of time. So maybe a start is you pray for them. Maybe you don't feel like it, start there. God, I don't feel like praying for that person. Help me to come to a place where I can. Trust me, they need the prayers. And you need the practice. God, grant them the same peace of mind, health, and joy, and love that I want in my life. They are yours. Now look, this is complex. Because sometimes if you forgive someone, sometimes the thought will occur to you correctly that it may not be enough to just forgive that person. They seem to do this a lot. So for the sake of others and for the sake of that person, because it's not loving to let someone go on hurting other people. So for the sake of all of them, you might say, hey, I think someone needs to stop this person or to confront this person or to try to wake them up or to have some sort of restitution. See, sometimes this is needed and this is right. This is where wisdom comes into play. But let me say to you, don't try that process without pursuing forgiveness first. Because if you pursue justice or restitution without forgiveness, it will not be justice. It will be vengeance. You'll be out to make them hurt, just to make yourself feel better. Do you see how forgiveness doesn't mean you don't pursue justice, but you have to pursue forgiveness as you go about justice or else it will only be vengeance. That's the process of forgiveness. Now, friends, that's hard work, isn't it? So let's not leave there. Let's finish off with the promise of forgiveness. See, the promise of forgiveness begins with you personally. If you want to be a slave, hold a grudge. So in other words, when you set them free, you're actually being set free. This is the way to being a personally free human being to walk through the ups and downs and difficulties of this life, of living in community, of knowing others and being known, of loving greatly and vulnerably and being hurt in the process. But instead of becoming a more cynical, bitter, cold, disconnected person, you actually become more buoyant, more warm, more resilient, and more connected. It's the way to personal freedom. Theologian and Catholic priest Richard Rohr says, if there's such a thing as human perfection, it seems to emerge precisely from how we handle the imperfection that is everywhere, especially our own. What a clever place for God to hide holiness so that only the humble and earnest will find it. A perfect person ends up being one who can consciously forgive and include imperfection rather than one who thinks he or she is totally above and beyond imperfection. It becomes sort of obvious once you say it out loud. So as you learn to accept others with their imperfection, to identify with them, to cancel the debt, to let them go, you actually begin to deal with your own imperfection as well. You inhale and exhale the grace and forgiveness of God, and it sets you free. It also makes you more and more spiritually alive. See, remember, how we forgive is connected to and an indicator of how we're experiencing God's forgiveness in our own lives. And so, like any of the other diagnostics on the dashboard, but this one especially bright and critical, this is an opportunity for us to traffic in the grace of God. This is where Christianity, this is where following Jesus, moves beyond an intellectual exercise into an actual experienced practice in this world. This is where we choose to follow Jesus who said, come, follow me, and he leads us to a cross where he prays for those crucifying him saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Recycling injustice and violence into forgiveness and grace and new life. And so every opportunity for forgiveness is an invitation to participate in that dance of new life that's breaking forth. Now, I want to leave you just with one of the great ironies in this parable. See, the this, this first servant who owes 10,000 talents, zillions of dollars, goes to the king and says, Come on, I'll pay you back everything. That's hilarious. Never, ever could this person pay back everything. And the king forgives the servant. The king had every right to demand. It was the king's resources after all. And the servant could never repay it. And in the midst of all that, the king forgives the servant. That servant walks out, finds another servant and demands and grabs them by the throat and chokes them and says, pay back everything you owe. And part of the grand irony is in that moment, the servant is acting like the king. The servant is acting like an unforgiving king. That's a picture of the way that you and I run our lives. As each of us children of God, servants of the king, but we go around pretending like we're the king ourselves or the queen we demand life on our terms, not on life's terms. We grab life by the throat and say, give me everything I want. The servant acts like the king and we become exhausted and defeated. But the invitation is to see Jesus, the true king, but the king unlike any other king, becoming a servant for you and me. The debt that you and I could never repay He says, I will pay for you. If you wanna know how much I am committed to putting your life and this world to rights, look at the cross where I take the pain and sin and penalty of all that's broken in this world upon my own shoulders. And I drink all that down to the very bottom. And in my resurrection, I do a death blow to death itself and show you the final word on this world is not the wrong you've done to one another, and not the wrong that's been done to you, but the final word on this world is forgiveness, is new life, is resurrection. And so you and I can actually walk through the difficulties of this world, not naively, but in a way that's wise. Not with hard hearts, but in a way that's actually compassionate and human. As we see Jesus is the one who identifies with you and me, took on flesh, the only God, the only image of God presented in all the major world religions where God not only understands what it's like to be you, but God has become a human being so that we might become one with God. He identifies with you. He cancels the debt by paying for it on the cross. And he sets you free. Friends, I would bet you, you take out whatever news browser you have on your phone, you don't have to scroll down to see where the answer to that problem in that headline would be forgiveness. If you think about the things that keep you up or raise your blood pressure or give you tension headaches, often the solution is forgiveness. May we be people who traffic in forgiveness so that we might be transformed and so that the world might be changed. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Help us to see now as you come to us with these very stark words of forgiveness, reminding us this is a diagnostic for how we receive your forgiveness and how we breathe it out into this world. We pray that you'd give us that fresh oxygen of your spirit that refreshes and renews, that will condemn and convict only so that we'll run to you to be set free. Help us to see that we are like that servant who owes more than we could ever repay. And help us to see how glad you are to forgive. Help us to see that you are the king who becomes a servant, to serve us to greatness, to glory. And Lord, as you forgive us, help us to forgive one another. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.